Jesus Christ according to Luke. The elders of the people, chief priests and scribes, arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. They brought charges against him, saying, Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply, You say so. Pilate then addressed the chief priests and crowds. I find this man not guilty. But they were adamant and said, On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. And upon learning that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. He had been wanting to see him for a long time, for he had heard about him and had been hoping to see him perform some sign. He questioned him at length, but he gave them no answer. The chief priests and scribes, meanwhile, stood by accusing him harshly. Herod and his soldiers treated him contemptuously and mocked him. And after clothing him in replenished garb, he sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate became friends that very day. Even though they had been enemies formerly, Pilate then summoned the chief priests, the rulers, and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me and accused him of inciting the people to revolt. I have conducted my investigation in your presence and have not found this man guilty of the charges you have brought against him, nor did Herod, for he sent him back to us. So no capital crime has been committed by him. Therefore, I shall have him flogged and then release him. But all together they shouted loud. Now Barnabas had been imprisoned from a rebellion that he had taken place in the city and for murder. <clears throat> Again, Pilate addressed him, still wishing to release Jesus, but they continued their shouting. Pilate addressed him a third time. What evil has this man done? I found him guilty of no capital crime. Therefore, I shall have him flogged and then release him. With loud shouts, however, they persisted in calling for his crucifixion, and their voices prevailed. The verdict of Pilate was that their demand should be granted. So he released the man who had been imprisoned for rebellion and murder, for whom they had asked, and he handed Jesus over to them to deal with as they wished. As they led him away, they took hold of a certain si Simons of the Cyrenian, who was coming in from the crowd. And after laying the cross on him, they made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed Jesus, including many women who mourned and lamented him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep instead for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming when people will say, Blessed are the barren, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. At that time, people will say to the mountains, 
fall upon us and to the hills cover us. For if these things are done when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Now two others, both criminals, were led away with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him and the criminals there, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. They divided his garments by casting lots. The people stood by and watched. The rulers, meanwhile, sneered at him and said, Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, Above him, there was an inscription that read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuked him, saying, Have you no fear of God, for you are subject to the same condemnation? And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon because of an eclipse of the sun. Then the veil of the temple was torn down the middle, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The Satorian, who witnessed what had happened, glorified God and said, this man is When all the people who had gathered for this spectacle saw what had happened, they returned home beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances stood at a distance, including the women who had followed him from Galilee and saw these events. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We've now officially begun our Holy Week, and our church has so many beautiful traditions, such as entering in with palm branches, receiving that blessing, and one of the things I always remember uh, on these days having to say those words, as you all did, crucify him, crucify him, to to say that, even though you don't want to say it, you don't mean it, but we all know in our hearts in some way we have been a part of that. There's also the tradition I remember after Palm Sunday as a kid going home and it was Catholic origami, right, with the palm branches to see what new thing you could create. Well, the, today I, I want to use a little piece of artwork to uh, help show some of the 
beautiful spiritual truths behind Palm Sunday. Perhaps we just kind of think of it in a simple way. Jesus went into Jerusalem and that's what happened. There's a whole lot more theologically that goes on in Palm Sunday. So the artist I wanted to use is uh, Giotto. You, when you see this painting here, it's a fresco, you may have, if you were in the museum, you probably would have almost just walked right by it, right? Right off the bat, it's maybe not that spectacular. But Giotto did something very new for his time. His life, uh, he was a simple man who, who was a shepherd boy there near Florence, and he was, he was good at drawing and doodling and some artist from Florence who passed by noticed him and, and they asked him and his family if they could take him to become an apprentice in their art uh, shop. And eventually he became one of the greatest artists in Italy. And his work was done up in the north and the south of Italy. And he's one of the artists that you could say began the Renaissance. Now, he's about 200 years before uh, Michelangelo, for example. And in the time, there was something new that Giotto was doing, which hadn't really been done before. He was starting to paint in three dimensions and not just two dimensions. Right? Most like icons you see, it's, it's kind of a two-dimensional figure. But Giotto started to think differently. Something new was happening. There was a lot of changing in the times, and Giotto wanted his art to actually reflect and be a mirror of reality. So this painting, when you see it, it's not exactly three dimensions, but it's not two either. It's sort of in between. And one of the things Giotto did was he was asked to paint the inside of a, of a chapel in Padua. Now that chapel was built on top of a of a Roman, uh, some ruins of a, of a Colosseum, an arena. So they call it the Arena Chapel. And Giotto decided he would paint scenes from the life of Christ that would wrap around the walls and it would then end with a painting of the final judgment. But when Michelangelo, 200 years later, painted the Sistine Chapel, he was sort of plagiarizing from Giotto right? Uh, so we can really thank Giotto for the Sistine Chapel in, in some sense. So Giotto's work in this chapel truly was unique and beautiful. And, and what do we see here in this image? Well, obviously, it's Jesus walking into Jerusalem. His apostles and disciples are behind him. The people in the city are coming out. Uh, it's pretty familiar. But there's a few things that we can talk about. And I'd like to just focus on the donkey for a second. That is one happy donkey, right? <laughs> you don't normally see something like that. Jodo's a little bit more realism, but he made this donkey happy that he's on his way. And he, the donkey's happy because he's with Jesus. And of course, the road is so perfect and everyone's excited, so the donkey is happy. When I was in the seminary in, in Italy, one of the things our, our rector told us was to remember that as a priest, you are to be the donkey. You bring Jesus. You bring the sacraments. And if anyone 
is nice to you, they treat you well, it's because you're the donkey carrying Jesus. It's not about you. And so our kind of catchphrase in the seminary was, remember to just be the donkey, right? I guess we can all sort of take that uh, to heart in some way. Now, in front of the donkey, you have these individuals that are laying out their cloaks. And obviously, that was something, I mean, not that obvious, but that was what you would do for a king. But there's another meaning to these men and women who are removing their garments. What happened in the book of Genesis to Adam and Eve right after they fell into sin? Adam and Eve were scared, they were frightened, they covered themselves in fig leaves and went into the woods to hide. The symbolism of Christ coming into the holy city to destroy sin symbolically means we no longer have to hide. We can take off those clothing, the fig leaves of sin. Unfortunately, the guy in the middle, he was sort of caught halfway when Jodo took the photo, you could say, we don't know who he is, he's got his coat over his head, right? He, he blinked in this picture. What about the palm branches? Up in the hills, you see these two figures in white, these two men in the olive trees. Jesus is going through the Mount of Olives. Most likely, the people were holding olive branches, right? We hold palm branches. It's a little easier. But in many other countries on Palm Sunday, you would hold a, a branch of an olive tree. There's something symbolic about holding a piece of wood. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's beginning his passion. He will die on a cross made of wood. And for us Christians to walk with him and to take a piece of wood, your olive branch, your piece of wood, to hold that up to Jesus is to symbolically say, Jesus, I too will follow you. I too will take my cross and I won't run from it. It's a powerful thing to have in your hand right now, that palm branch. That's what you are saying that's why the man up in the tree also has his arms open, symbolizing the crucifixion. Jodo would put something in each scene that would foreshadow the next scene. And so this man up in the tree holding on to his olive branch is each one of us who's saying yes to Jesus. Now, Jesus is also uh, being followed by his disciples, and this is where Jodo, I think, uh, does something unique to him. The, the, the disciples and the apostles, which are just sort of a, a multitude of bobbleheads there, you can only see a few of them, they are not exactly thrilled to be there. Whereas the people in the city are excited, the apostles and disciples are serious. They're worried. They're stiff. They're almost not moving you see, Jesus and the apostles had, an, had a little bit of a, an argument, you could say. Jesus said, I want to go to Jerusalem. And the apostles said, but why? They're trying to kill you. And Jesus says, we're going. And Thomas says something. He just says, well, let's all go and die with you. They know what Jesus is doing 
they're scared. It wasn't easy even for them to follow Jesus into the holy city. These men and women were also saints, and even though they were saints, this wasn't easy to do. I think for each one of us today, we can remember that it's okay to struggle following Jesus. Being a Christian is not easy, especially in the times that we live in. And if you struggle, if you hesitate, that's why we're here. We all are in that, you could say, group struggling each day to truly lift up our olive branch and say, I, Jesus, I will be there. This is hard, but I'll do my best. Well, my brothers and sisters, entering into Jerusalem, something sublime happens. That word itself, sublime, what does it actually mean? We know it means something like majestic and heavenly, but the word itself Sublime comes from Latin, sublimina. That means up to the threshold. When something sublime happens in our life, it's because we come to a threshold to a whole other world. It's like a window into the cosmic eternity of heaven. That's what sublime means, to leave your world behind and to go to something transcendent. Sublimina, up to the city gates of Jerusalem. And I say that because often at times as we're struggling with our cross, we, might, we may wonder, you know, where are you, Lord? Why do I have these difficulties? You might question, why hasn't God spoken to me or shown himself to me? Why hasn't anything sublime ever happened in my life? Perhaps the answer is because you have yet to truly do something sublime, which is to cross the city gates of Jerusalem with Jesus to be with him in those difficult moments. And then we'll be able to be with him in the beautiful moments of the resurrection. This is a mystery of the life of Christ, a mystery of him entering his passion. Today, let us, with those palm branches, truly say yes to Jesus. Whatever your personal cross is, whether it's heavy or not, take that cross, embrace that cross, and something sublime will happen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.